Welcome to City Talk, a podcast from City View Church in Northern Virginia. We are a church family that God is building to make disciples of Jesus Christ in the heart of Loudoun County and all around the world. Christians would do well to remind ourselves of these six truths daily. I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother, and every Christian is my brother too. Believing and acting on these truths will transform the way we live. In this message on the city yet to come, Pastor Mark wraps up our For the City series. What is heaven like? The city yet to come is better than you can imagine and is worth living for right now. Heaven is our home and Jesus is preparing it for us right now. You know, um, my parents live in the same house that I grew up in. They have been there for a little over 50 years. And as my parents are aging, every time I go back and visit there, tons of memories uh, flood me. I can't walk on the yard. I can't walk in a room and just remember things that have happened from my past. And I treasure that. But, you know, one of the things I enjoyed the most is remembering before we moved into the house. You see, my family moved to the United States, uh, and we first of all lived in uh, in Maryland for about a year. And while we were living in, in Maryland at that time, my parents had this house built in Reston. And I remember as a little child, the excitement and the anticipation of this home that was getting built. We would go, uh, my parents would drag me and my brother along and we'd sit in in the meetings with the, uh, the builders and they'd say, okay, this is where we're going to put this room, this is where we're going to do that. And then they started breaking ground for it and we would go out on the weekends and we'd look and we would just see the progress of this house from going from a clearing in the woods to a hole in the ground and then the foundation got put in and then the walls start going up and you can picture and then my uh, parents said, and this is where you boys are going to share your room, and which immediately got my brother and I to fight over who gets which side of the room to put their bed on and so on. Uh, but we anticipated this house. We were looking forward to moving into this home. And you know, as Christians, we have a much bigger and better hope because we have a home that Jesus right now is preparing for us that we can look forward to. But we really don't know much about that home. We don't talk about it enough. In the book of um, John, Jesus said this. This is the night in which he was betrayed. The disciples are beginning to dawn on him that things aren't going to go as they had hoped. They thought they were going to overthrow the Romans then. And Jesus is saying, no, guys, I'm going to die. And then I'm going away. And so I can imagine panic set in. But listen to how Jesus responded to them. John 14 verse 1 says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is our hope. This is like us being able to look at the blueprints of the house that my family was going to move into, but God is saying, I've got something incredible prepared for you. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. It's the last book 
Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to look at this home, the city yet to come, that we are going to get to live in. Now, Revelation is one of those sections of the Bible where church people get all funny about it. I find there's either extreme. You get people who are obsessed with it, and they can like take the book of Revelation and hold it up next to a news website, and they can say, and this verse right here is talking about this event that you're reading in the news. You're like, whoa. Then a year goes by, and it's like, wait a minute. Everything has changed since then. And then there's the other extreme in church where, where people go, whoa. All those visions and dreams, it just makes, I, I'm not even going to bother. It didn't make any sense. But Revelation is the one book in Scripture which specifically promises blessing to those who read, hear, and act on it. That's in verse 3 of chapter 1. So we're crazy not to look into Revelation. It promises blessing. But when you go into Revelation... You must understand the style of literature it is. It's apocalyptic literature, which is something we really don't do today. But it's a way of describing events with word pictures. And it's written in the context of a culture that is not the way we are today. So it may not all make sense to us. But don't that let that get you down. You don't have to figure it all out. Prophecy, when it's written in Scripture, is intended for those who are hearing it at the time. And then when future events are talked about, it will all fall into place. And it will make perfect sense. Scripture uh, gives us prophecy for a purpose. So when you read Revelation, you've got to have the tension that these words that you're reading made sense to people in the first century. It was written by John towards the end of the first century, probably around 90 A.D., and things were beginning to um, get ugly for Christians. You know, they'd gone through that first wave of, woo, we have the Messiah, he's raised from the dead, this is awesome. Then a few decades went by, and everyone kind of got settled into their routines. But then the public started turning against Christianity. Persecution was breaking out. Peter and Paul, two of Christianity's earliest leading lights, were executed by the emperor in the mid-60s. John, the last living disciple, is in prison on the island of Patmos when he writes this. I think Christians were beginning to get a little bit discouraged. You, know, you get your hopes up for something, you think, yes, it's going to happen. And then it didn't happen today. It didn't happen tomorrow. People are probably getting a little bit impatient. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Is Jesus really going to come again? The book of Revelation was written to comfort people that were suffering for the cause of Christ. Scratching your head saying, this doesn't make sense. I thought everything was going to get better when I became a Christian. They needed hope. And so God says, let me tell you what is going to happen. And Revelation can be summarized in various ways. But I think one of the simplest is God wins. Those who are on his team win with him. The future's bright. If you get that, then you understand the basic concept in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, in chapter 21, God says, this is the home that I'm building for you. The problem is most of us think heaven looks a lot like this. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, culture just has this idea of heaven is you're all going to be in the clouds 
playing harps. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I look at James Ingram right there. I don't want to sit on a cloud next to you playing a harp. And he didn't want to listen to me playing a harp either, okay? So, but when you see heaven and it's pictured like this, most of us, if we're honest, will say, the only reason I want to go there is it's better than the alternative. But this is a myth. This is not biblical. Heaven, our ultimate home, the city yet to come, is going to be very physical and earthy, if you will. It's not going to be this ethereal, sit in the clouds and play a harp. So God's going to describe it for us. And we'll pick up in Revelation chapter 21. Christina read this passage. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go through this um, this chapter. I'm not going to read every word, but I just want to bring some things out to you. That we have an awesome hope. And if we fully grasp this city yet to come and order our priorities around it here and now, we'll be of a greater benefit to the city that we live in. If we look ahead to what God has prepared for us, then we'll be of more use to people right here and right now. So let's see what the Bible has to say about our future homes. First of all, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, when you see in the Bible, heaven and earth together, it really means the universe. The ancient languages didn't have one word for universe. So heaven and earth together means universe. It says, I saw a new heaven and earth. We don't know exactly if God is going to destroy every atom of this current universe and completely start from scratch, or if he is just going to kind of like tear down the walls, but keep the foundation and then rebuild something better. But all we know is it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be new. New heavens and a new earth, total makeover. Coming down from heaven. This is significant because the Bible ends with a city coming down from heaven. But early when man went astray, the Tower of Babel, we talked about this in Genesis 11. Man tried to build a city up towards the heavens. But the opposite is God says, I'm coming down to you. This is God doing for us what we couldn't do by ourselves. And then in verse 3, it says this. And this should just make all of us go. It's going to be okay. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. God is saying no more will we be in two different places. God's plan all throughout history has been to be with humanity. And God says, I'm going to do it with perfection. Everything is going to revolve around me because he's going to satisfy all our needs. The dwelling place of God is with man. And this is something that God promised. You know, Jason, I appreciated the points you made about looking to God's word for the promises. Because all through the Bible, God promises, I will be your God. You will be my people. And when you read that in the Old Testament times, you're going, I don't quite see how this is going to happen. Just like we, when we think about heaven, go, well, I'm not quite sure I can grasp this. But God says it's going to happen. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. The dwelling place of God is with man. 
And then in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear. He will wipe away every tear. How fantastic is that? That's what we can look forward to. Everything that gets us down, everything that disappoints us, wiped away. Every tear wiped away. This is what we can look forward to. All those hidden burdens that you bear, which you say, I could never share this with anyone. God says, they're going to be gone. And he says to the thirsty, to those who realize that you don't have your act together, to those who realize you are inadequate, I will be your sufficiency. I will give you everything you need. And you will truly be able to say, as the psalmist did, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he is our everything. And we will see him right in our midst. To the one who conquers, this is what we can look forward to. And when you see that phrase, to the one who conquers, some of your Bibles might say, to the one who overcomes, that's talking about believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our home. This is what we can look forward to. There will be no sinners, which means there will be no sin there. Everyone there will be redeemed. And God says, I'm going to get all that junk out of there. We can look at it and we say, whoa, whoa, how come he won't allow these sinners in? It's because God will not allow sin in his presence. And the only people allowed in there are those who have had their sin cleansed, forgiven by what Jesus has done on the cross. This is what we look forward to. This is our home. It will be perfection. It's not going to be sitting on the clouds playing harps or anything like that. We can look forward to this. The way Revelation is written is a series of visions. And you'll see the phrase throughout the book, and then I saw, and then I saw. Sometimes it means a continuous thing, and otherwise it's like, and then I got taken to see things from another angle. So I believe what we're about to come on in verse 9 here, where it says, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me saying, come, and I'll show you. And then he carried me away in the spirit to a high mountain, and he showed me the holy city of God. What's happening now, John is being taken to see the city in more detail. Now, I don't think there are human words to adequately describe the fantasticness of this city. It's just going to be mind-blowing. I think there will probably be dimensions that we don't even understand now working there as a spiritual and the physical mashup together. So some of this is going to be imagery, which I think God is saying, your minds are just too small, but it's going to be incredible. So here's some of the things that he has to say about our home yet to come. Now, verses 10 through 14 in chapter 21 are just one long run-on sentence. And I want to read it for effect. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, 
And on the gates of the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the new west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It's almost like John is getting so excited. He's just writing this away. This is just mind-blowing. Guys, this is incredible. I have seen where we're going to be living for the rest of forever. It's going to be awesome. Have hope. Be encouraged. This is what you can look forward to. No matter what is going on for you right here, right now, your future is bright. And I've seen a glimpse of it. So what is he talking about with all these things? You'll see the number 12 a lot in this passage. 12 shows up 22 times in the book of Revelation. And it's what is considered in scripture a perfect number. It's a perfect number and it represents a couple of different things that we'll see in here. There's 12 gates for the 12 tribes of Israel. See, the only way, the only way into the city is through citizenship in the Israel of God. And that is through belief in Jesus Christ. There are 12 foundations. Now, as an engineer, this makes me scratch my head because I'm thinking, wait a minute. Every project I've ever worked on has one foundation. You need one foundation to be solid. So I think this is imagery that God is saying. But it ties back into Ephesians where it says the church is built on the prophets and the apostles. That is the teaching of Scripture. Solid, sound doctrine. We need to base our lives on that. That's the foundation of this city yet to come. We see in verse 21 that these gates are described as pearls. Again, I think this is imagery because it's kind of weird to think of a gate that's just one giant pearl that a person can fit through. But I think it's significant that it uses the imagery of a pearl because a pearl is the product of pain. A pearl is just something inside an oyster that irritates it and it ends up secreting this substance over it that we value as a pearl. And it's very possible to say the gateway to this is suffering and pain. The only way in through the gate is to receive the suffering that Christ took on our behalf and we are in. Twelve foundations, twelve gates. Verse 15, he moves on. He describes in a little bit more detail. And you're going to see, I would encourage you to read back uh, in the scriptures, 1 Kings chapter 5 and 16, the original temple, because some of the imagery seems pulled right from there. It's like God is saying to these people, you know, that original temple I had you build, it was pretty spectacular, but it's got nothing on this. But the readers in the first century, this would have clicked with them. Because they probably in their mind's eye would have had a picture of that temple and then the improvements that, that Herod did to it. So this would have meant something that would have been a word picture to them. And this city is huge. And it is a cube. I think that's kind of odd because I think of cities as kind of a map and throughout flap. It's a cube. And a cube is the shape of the Holy of Holies in the original temple that God had his people build, the place of God's very special presence. It's huge, 12,000 stadia. That's about 1,400 miles. 
1,400 miles is roughly the distance from New York City to Miami. So you picture New York City to Miami, New York City to Miami, New York City to Miami, three dimensions. That's massive. You can fit a lot into a cube that size. The wall was 144 cubits, which is 72 uh, feet thick. Um, I'm sorry, 72 yards thick. It's really thick. In a sense, though, you're not going to need a wall because there'll be no bad guys out there to get you. But I think the imagery God is saying is, you are secure in this city with me. No harm can befall you. You can experience perfect safety. This is what you can look forward to. Then it says the entire city is a temple. And the splendor of the original temple was nothing compared to this. It's almost as if John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is kind of punting here. He said, I've used some pretty spectacular imagery, but words fail me to tell you guys how great this is going to be. Now, you imagine if you're a first century Christian and you're starting to suffer for your faith, this would have been like cool, refreshing water. This is something to look forward to. God is not finished yet. The resurrection is not the end of the story. The ascension is not the end of the story. This is the end of the story. This is what we can look forward to. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. After the city being described as a temple, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Just step back and imagine that. This is the holy city, but there's no temple in it. Because God himself is the temple. Israel's religious life revolved around the temple and the feasts. And here, God is basically saying, guys, that was all a picture of me. I wanted you to come to me regularly. God's saying, I am the temple. And I don't think words fully describe for us exactly what that's going to look like. But it is something worth getting excited about saying, our future is amazing. We are going to have a perfect relationship with God. He will wipe away every tear. He will completely, totally protect us. And this place is going to be spectacular. But there's more. We're not done yet. It's incredible. No sun or moon, because God himself is the light. It's almost like this goes back to Genesis. When God created, God created light before he created the sun and moon. Now, how many people have gone, how come God said he made light before he made the sun? Someone obviously didn't know what they're doing when they wrote the Bible. And God's going to have the last laugh because you say, you want to see what it's like when I am the light and you don't even need a sun or a moon? You're going to experience that. I just think of the incredible dimensions and the things we'll get to do that right now we go, I don't get it. 
I remember growing up, we went to uh, Epcot at Disney. And one of the displays in Epcot, which talks about the future, all this stuff, which is like so amazing that, you know, you you really can't grasp it. And I remember the display as you went up the escalator about video phones. One day, we might even get to talk to each other and see each other at the same time. Now, to some people, that meant horror. But to others, it was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And then I realized that my kids have never grown up without phones, with videos. Stuff which we thought, well, it may not happen. It's just too amazing. It's happened right here. This is just phone technology. God is saying, heaven is nothing like playing a harp on a cloud. Heaven is so much better. This is what you can look forward to. This life is just a drop in the ocean of eternity. And I want to live every moment I have in this life in light of eternity, what is yet to come. It's going to be incredible. It's worth living for. It's worth carrying on for. No night. Verse 27, nothing unclean will enter. And that means no sin, no sorrow, no suffering. And God is taking imagery from the Old Testament when he said nothing unclean could enter the tabernacle or the temple. That was all a picture of what heaven is going to be like. There will be nothing unclean, no sickness, no disease, no nothing. It will be perfect. Verse 3 says there will be leaves for the healing of the nations. And I think an obvious question is, what are we going to need healing from? If there's no sin, no disease, no suffering, no nothing. I think really that those leaves are probably more of a sustaining type energy as opposed to fixing something that's broken. There will be nothing broken in heaven. And so I know that in a few short minutes, I haven't done justice to heaven right here. But I encourage you to read over these chapters. Read the book of Revelation. And it's perfectly all right. To say, God, I really am confused about some of this imagery. And God would probably respond to you, I know you are, but I will reveal what you need to know. But Revelation promises blessing for reading it. So don't avoid it. But don't also drive off the other side of the road and try to figure out exactly what everything means and tie it to an event going on right now. Just remember, God wins. Those on his team win with him. Our future's bright. Chapter 22 continues like this in verse 3. No longer, guys, you can so look forward to this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There'll be no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. I want to dispel one notion right here too. Because sometimes you can read some of this imagery and get the impression. So wait a minute. This is just going to be a giant church service. Well, not exactly. 
We're going to be worshiping him, but God refers in Revelation, as you read it carefully, you'll see that there will be human activity. We'll be working, we'll be doing things, but our relationships will be perfect. We won't have any rivalries. We won't have any, they said this, there won't be any gossip, none of that junk. It's going to be perfect friendship, perfect working together. I love Sam Gamgee's quote at the end of the Lord of the Rings when he says this, everything sad will become untrue. And that's going to be our experience in heaven. Everything sad will become untrue. Because God's going to wipe away every tear and give us perfection. So that city is yet to come. But right now, we're living in this city with its aches and pains and its challenges and its problems. How do we kind of live with one foot in each world? I hate the saying where people will say, ah, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly value. Because I think the opposite is the truth. If we are heavenly minded, as in looking forward to what God has promised us, we will be of immense value to him and everyone around us in this city. If our eyes are firmly fixed on the city yet to come, we'll be of great value to the city all around us right now. As we've said earlier, we call ourselves City View, and there's really two reasons for that. One is a church is not so much defined by the building it's in, but the people in it. And our city is not defined by the skyline or the buildings. It's the people around us that God has called us to introduce to Jesus Christ. But we also took the name City View because we want to take a cue from Abraham in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 recalls some of the great heroes of the Old Testament and what they did by faith. And listen to what it says about him. By faith. Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Now, just remember this. Abraham is really kind of like the one that started it all. It wasn't like Abraham could go to his church and say, you know, I had this vision from God. Does it make sense? No one else told him that. It's Abraham and the God of the universe spoke to him and said, I want you to get up and go. And Abraham obeyed him. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The steps of faith that Abraham took here on this earth were done in light of the city yet to come. It's like Abraham knew that, okay, I'm going in this direction, but this really is not my ultimate home. This is going to be where God wants me here in this earth, but this is my ultimate home. God has something far better and far bigger. And what if all of us said, we're going to build our lives around what God has promised us? Instead of all the shiny stuff that we see around us that Northern Virginia has to offer, what if we ordered our lives around what God has promised us. 
if we were to live our lives in light of the promises of Revelation 21 and 22, I think that would rearrange our priorities. It would rearrange our scheduling. So often in busy Northern Virginia, the land of the self-important, we chase our tails for that which will not last forever. But Jesus himself said, guys, invest in heaven. So how do you invest in heaven? Jesus said in Matthew 24, there's only two things outside of God that will last forever. That's people and his word. You want to know, know what to build your life around? It's pouring into the people around you and getting to know God through his word. You do that, you will be living in light of the city yet to come. And when you live in light of the city yet to come, you're going to be of immense value to those in the city all around us. In Revelation, carrying on in chapter 22, John kind of ties it up. And he says, guys, here's why you need to know these sort of things. Verses 11 to 15, he gives us motivation for holiness. He said, knowing that this is what you can look forward to, hang in there. Don't go after the quick fixes or the shortcuts to happiness this world has to offer. Build your life around that, which will last forever. And that means choosing holiness in how you live, being set apart for God. Verse 17, we're given hope. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. No matter what you are facing here in this world, and suffering is a part of our lives, God says the future is bright. And if God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's as good as done. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can look forward to this home. It's yours. And whatever you're going through right now, which seems like it's lasting forever, it is just a drop in the ocean of eternity. Throughout Scripture, you'll see imagery. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, guys, we're beaten down, we're crushed, it's been really hard, we're persecuted, but we don't despair because the light momentary affliction that we're having. This suffering that we're going through now, it's a moment compared to eternity. I respectfully recognize that when we're going through it, suffering just takes forever, it feels. But when we're in our suffering, that's when we need to look up, read Revelation for hope. Our future is much better than what we're enduring right now. So when our eyes are firmly fixed on the city yet to come, we'll do more for the city around us right now. You'll be of immense value to God. When you're heavenly minded, you will serve people here on this earth. So guys, together, Let's be known as a blessing to our city right now because we have our eyes on the city yet to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and I thank you 
for the sureness of your promise. I thank you that you will never let us down. You will never fail. We can always trust you. And Lord, with our finite minds, we can't wrap our heads around the awesomeness of the city yet to come. But Lord, I pray for each of us that you would heighten a sense of anticipation. That we would just be like, I can't wait to see that city. I pray that you would give us the perspective that Paul had when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, would you help us to order our priorities around that so that we live right here and now saying we belong to you, do whatever you want with me because I know that when you take me over to the other side that my future is going to be better than anything I could have ever dreamt. So Lord, help us to be heavenly minded when we're here on this earth. And Lord, I thank you for giving us your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make it even possible that we can look forward to eternity with you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.